can be seated. Earlier this week, I went to a conference in Nashville, and uh, the theme of the conference was the Psalms. And this conference was about helping churches uh, engage more in the Psalms, in including the Psalms in our music, helping us to pray the Psalms individually, and to worship along the themes of the Psalms. And so um, I came away really refreshed and encouraged, and this is kind of dangerous for a pastor, my head full of ideas of what maybe we could do here as a church. But I was inspired uh, to, to preach on our psalm for today. So I invite you to take out your bulletin or your Bible and look at this psalm, Psalm 116. I'm going to share with you a quote that somebody said at this conference regarding the Psalms. How many of us need help in our prayer life? I'll put my hand up. And sometimes um, we don't know how to pray. Sometimes we don't know what to say in our prayers. And one of the quotes that a speaker gave to us was, was this. He said, the Psalms, which was the, the ancient hymn book of the people of Israel, but there are there are songs, too, as the people of God. The Psalms are, he said, God's, listen to this, appointed means to communicate with God. God has given us in the Psalms language that we can use and he wants us to use to sing to him and to communicate to him in prayer. He went on and he said, now, of course, the Lord's Prayer offers us a pattern of prayer. And words to say, but it's about a pattern of prayer. Whereas he says the Psalms is the only part of the Bible that tells you how to pray through every life situation and every emotion of life. So there are Psalms of joy and celebration. There are Psalms of sorrow and lament and asking God, how long? How long is this evil going to persist? How long are you going to allow the evil to persist. Songs of lament, songs of sorrow, songs of repentance and forgiveness, and psalms of praise and thanksgiving. And that's our psalm today, is a, is a thanksgiving psalm. But the point this man was making is the more we immerse ourselves in the language of the psalms, the more we immerse ourselves in the language of the psalms, the richer our prayer life will be and our ability to communicate what we're feeling, what we're going through in this life is is enriched and elevated by the Psalms, because it really does tackle every life situation. And this Psalm today, Psalm 116, is a Thanksgiving Psalm as the psalmist is thanking God for delivering him from death. Delivering him from death. So this psalm is teaching us to reflect on God as our deliverer and instructing us on how do we respond when we have been delivered by God. God is our deliverer. How are we to respond when we have experienced God's deliverance, God's salvation? Now, what was the situation for this psalmist? We don't know, by the way, who this psalmist is. The writer is anonymous. But it's clear that he was, at some point in his life, at death's door. Verse 3, he says, The snares of death encompassed me. 
or the cords of death. One translation has it. The cords of death encompassed me. In other words, this man was was tangled up. He was entrapped in death and there was no hope of escape apart from God's intervention. We don't know exactly what the situation was. Maybe he was facing a grave illness. Maybe enemies were attacking him or coming to attack him. We see that a lot in the Psalms. David is praying for deliverance from his enemies. We don't know the situation exactly, but we do know that he was uh, on the edge of the grave, so to speak. And he says, as a result of this experience of being at death's door, he, he says, I suffered, verse three, I suffered distress and anguish. That'll do it to you. And in verse eight, my eyes, he, he talks about his tears, his eyes filled with tears. So here's a man. He almost died, suffered distress, anguish, his eyes filled with tears. His, his soul had been gripped with the pangs of Sheol. Verse three, Sheol was the in the Hebrew mind is the dwelling place of the dead. All the dead go to this dwelling place of Sheol. And there are Psalms that talk about God redeeming his people from Sheol, but it's this sort of shadowy underworld. And the psalmist was gripped with terror at the prospect of going to Sheol. Of leaving this world. Now, I wonder if any of you can relate. I, I know that some of you can relate because I've heard your stories and some of you, I've been right there with you, you know, as you battled an illness or gone through an accident or you're lying in a hospital bed fighting off an infection and wondering, am I going to get out of here alive? Or receiving a diagnosis that seems at the time, okay, this, this might be it. This is perhaps a death sentence. What should we do in such a situation? Should we be fatalistic? Should we, we be stoical? Should, should we despair? No, this psalm is teaching us to cry out to God. To cry out to God in our distress. And this psalm gives us language to help us cry out to God. Verse four, I called upon the name of the Lord. And here's the prayer. Oh, Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. The soul here, the, the word here means life. In other words, I'm on the brink of death. God, save me, save my life. I cry out. This is an emotional cry of God. He's in anguish. He's in distress. His eyes were filled with tears. This is not stoic resignation in the face of impending death. This is God, please save me. And the Psalms give us language for that kind of a prayer and permits and instructs us to go to God with that kind of a prayer. When we feel that we are on the brink of death or we can broaden this when we are in the midst of tears. Anguish, sorrow, hopelessness. When we are in that place, we can sing this song. We can call upon the name of the Lord. We can use these words and cry out to God like this. Oh, Lord. Deliver my soul. Save me. Deliver my life. And then the psalmist tells us how God graciously responded to this call. And he is celebrating. He is thanking God for the deliverance that he's received all throughout, especially the first part of this psalm. Verse one, I love the Lord. Why? Because he heard 
my voice and my pleas for mercy. The Lord heard me when I cried. Verse two, because he inclined his ears to me or his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. He heard he inclined his ear to me. That's obviously metaphorical language. God doesn't have a body. God doesn't have ears. But it's this image of, you know, like a, a loving, compassionate father listening to the cry of his children, leaning in, inclining the ear because of his love. Verse three, verse six. When I was brought low, he saved me. He saved me. And verse eight, addressed directly to God here. You delivered my soul from death. He heard my voice. He inclined his ear. He saved me. He delivered me. And again, I wonder if there's anybody here can relate to that. Anybody here can relate to that. If you've been battling a life-threatening illness and you cried out to the Lord in your prayer and you're here today and you're saying, the Lord, the Lord delivered me. Some people might say, well, I, I prayed to the Lord, but I also took the medicine. I also received the treatment. Well, praise God for the medicine. Thank God for the effectiveness of the treatment, because there are some people who receive the treatment and they're not made well. And they're not delivered. So praise God that you're here today. The commentator Matthew Henry wrote this, he said, it is a great mercy to us that we are alive. Just to be alive is a great mercy. And more so if we've been at death's door and yet raised up and spared. And then he goes on, he says, a life lengthened out is a miracle of mercy. We'd say today, a long life is a miracle of the mercy of God. So have you ever experienced what the psalmist is talking about when God delivered you from impending death and destruction? I remember one time, this was before I got married, right before I got married, I was uh, driving back from my grandparents' house on a, on a highway at night, going 70, 70 something, let's say, miles per hour on the highway. All of a sudden, a deer pops out in the middle of nowhere. And what do you do when something just pops out in front of you? I slammed on the brakes and it wasn't anti-lock. It was not anti-lock brakes vehicle. And so I found myself at 70 miles per hour in the middle of the highway doing 360s in the road. And what was I doing? I was crying out to the to the name of the Lord. I was literally crying out, Lord, help me. Lord, save me. And um, I ended up in a ditch without a scratch. And right after I got off the road, a semi-truck came barreling past. Could have been just a little bit early. If he'd have been there just a couple of seconds early, I don't think I would be here today. I believe that the Lord heard my cry and saved me. And I know some of you have stories like that. And so when we have experienced that in our life, it is right and it is good to give him thanks. It is a miracle of mercy to have a long life. It is a mercy that we are here today alive. Now, this raises questions. This raises difficult questions because we have prayed for people to be delivered. And they weren't delivered. There have been Christians on the highway doing 360s, going 70 miles per hour, praying for the Lord to deliver them. And they're not with us today. <coughs> Better Christians than me. And there have been Christians who have been on their sickbed 
crying out for the mercy of God. And they, they didn't rise from their sickbed. And they're not with us today. And we know that as a congregation. And we've, we've seen that. So how do we think through that? What do we do with that? Should these unanswered prayers for deliverance weaken our faith in prayer? Should these unanswered prayers for deliverance weaken our faith in the idea that there is a living God who hears prayer and delivers people because we've seen it sometimes, oftentimes, not work out the way that we prayed? What do we do with that? I think there are some places in this psalm that can help us maybe not get the 100% exact answer that we want to have that will make all the questions dissipate and disappear, but that can lead us to a place of deeper faith even when those prayers are not answered. Okay, so let's look at some things that the psalmist says here. Look at verse 10 and 11. Now, he is talking in verse 10 about what happened before he was delivered. So he's still in the pit. He's still in the suffering. He's still in turmoil. And what you see in verse 10 is this tenacious faith in God in the midst of suffering. He says, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I believed I trusted. I believed in God, even in the midst of my great affliction. I was speaking. I believe in you. I'm turning to you. Oh, God, I do not believe in mankind. Verse 11. That's not where I'm going to put my trust. I said in in my alarm, all mankind are liars. No, I believed in you, God, in the midst of my affliction. And here's the point. And the psalmist's attitude was not God. I will believe in you if. You answer this prayer in the way that I want you to answer. This is not the foxhole kind of prayer that I will believe in you if you get me out of this mess. Although I'm not opposed to foxhole prayers. Go ahead and pray the foxhole prayer. But what I'm saying is his faith in God was not conditioned on the kind of answer that he was looking for. He came to God in faith with this. Because I believe in you, I trust you. Therefore, I am crying out to you in this affliction. So our faith in God, biblical faith in God, is it can't be conditioned on how God answers our prayers. Because obviously there is a mystery and God is sovereign and there are multiple layers of reality in God's plans and purposes That we know nothing about. So it can't be conditioned on how God answers our prayer. Now, thank God when we see answers to prayer, that bolsters our faith. But it can't be conditioned on that. It has to be based on this. Knowing God. Knowing the character of God. This man knew God, and so he cried out to God. And as Christians... We have a very full and rich knowledge of God that surpasses even what this psalmist knew. Because as Christians, our knowledge of God is based on what we have seen in Jesus Christ. And in the gospel reading today, we saw this great miracle that Jesus performed of delivering somebody from spiritual evil. And we see the compassion of Jesus all through the gospels. And that is the basis of our knowledge of God. Knowing Him. Knowing Jesus. In verse 5, the 
the psalmist says, gracious is the Lord and righteous and our God is merciful. And as Christians, if you're a Christian, you can say that today. Gracious is the Lord and he's righteous and he's merciful because of the cross of Jesus. I've seen that on the cross of Christ. And so in spite of the unanswered prayers and the suffering and the difficulty, and I'd have questions about that. But I know God through the cross of Jesus and he has shown me grace and mercy and righteousness. And Jesus. Jesus prayed this kind of a prayer. Lord, deliver me on his way to the cross, didn't he? Lord, deliver my soul, deliver me from this death. Take the cup. Jesus did not want to drink the cup of suffering that was waiting for him at the cross. Nevertheless, not what I will, but your will be done. And because he suffered for us like that, we know that he's gracious and compassionate and merciful. And because God raised him from the dead, we have hope in the midst of it, in the midst of the unanswered questions. So our trust in God as believers is based on the character of God that we know in Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you have heard about Billy Graham's daughter, Anne Graham Lotz, who a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she got the call from the hospital on the third year anniversary of her husband's death. So it's already a difficult place to be in. And then she gets the call and the test results and you have breast cancer. And she put out a statement and Graham Lotz put out this statement. And this is an example of somebody, I think, who knows God. Because <laughs> you can't say what she said, I think, without knowing the character of God in Jesus Christ. She said, please pray that God would heal me in whatever way he deems. And that however he answers the prayer, he would get the most glory. So whether it's healing without surgery or with surgery, whether it's healing with surgery and a follow up treatment or through the greater miracle of the resurrection, pray that God would be glorified. And I'm trusting him. She said, I am left to worship and trust, totally trust our God who is in control of this situation. You can't get to that unless you know God is gracious and merciful and compassionate. And the way to get there is through the cross of Christ. So do you know God like that, friends? Do you know God like that? I want to know God like that in a deeper way. I don't want my faith to crumble because of unanswered prayer and suffering. I don't want your faith to crumble because of unanswered prayer and suffering. He is coming to the Lord from a place of deep trust. I believe even when I spoke, I'm greatly afflicted. And, and the second thing I want to point out to answer this question, what about those who've prayed to be delivered? What about those we prayed for their deliverance and we didn't get the answer we wanted to get? I mean, we've experienced this as a congregation. And some of you have experienced this in a more profound way in your family life. 
So what do we what do we do with that? Look at verse 15. I think this can comfort us. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious means prized, highly valued or costly. And the point of that verse, I believe, is that God does not look on the death of his children with indifference. One commentator put it this way, the psalmist has learned how reluctant the Lord is to allow his people to suffer premature death. And he learns that God intervenes to avert such a tragedy. So we can trust that God is our protector. He's our deliverer in this life. And he will not permit us or our loved ones to to depart from this life apart from his good plans and purposes. He will not allow that to happen. And so when those things come, when the unanswered prayers come, when the premature deaths come, from our perspective, premature deaths, the psalmist is calling us to trust that God is not indifferent. God, who sees the beginning from the end, he's eternal. He knows what he's doing. He's not indifferent. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. He's merciful. Even in that, we can trust the mercy of God because of the cross of Christ. We see a merciful God and we, of course, revel in the hope of the ultimate defeat of death through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When he does deliver us from physical death and he pulls us out of all kinds of anguish and pain and sorrow and tears, it's right to give him thanks and praise. It's right to give him thanks and praise. Friends, he has rescued us from spiritual death. Anyone here who is in Christ, who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he has rescued you from the grave. He's rescued you from spiritual death, eternal separation from him. God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love that he's shown us in Jesus Christ, even while we're dead in our sins and trespasses, has made us alive in Jesus Christ. And so we can, what do we do in response to this rescue that we received? From spiritual death or physical death or all sorts of sorrows and pain and tragedy. And God has pulled us out of. What do we do? What's the right response? Well, the psalmist asked that question. What what shall I do? Verse 12. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits? What how can I pay God back for this? Well, you can't. You can't literally pay God back for this. You don't have enough resources to repay the grace and mercy of God. None of us do. It's infinite mercy and grace. But what you can do is lift up the cup of salvation. And you can offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving, verse 17. And you can continue to call on the name of the Lord throughout your life. And you can do what he says at the beginning of the psalm and tell the Lord, I love you, Lord, because you did this. And I'm going to walk before you. I'm going to live a life of obedience and honor and glory. Glorify your name through my life. I will walk in your ways, he says. Throughout my life. And I will lift up the cup of salvation. And I will offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. 
And I'll continue to call on the name of the Lord. Notice that this takes place in the congregation of the people. He says, I'm going to go public with my praise. I'm not going to keep it to myself what God has done. And so, friends, this is what part of what we do on Sunday mornings when we gather together. We are thanking God for delivering us from spiritual death. And maybe we've come out of something where we were on death's door. And that ought to fill our hearts with praise and thanksgiving to the one who's delivered us in that way. And we come into the congregation and we lift up the cup of salvation and we say, look what God has poured into my life. Will you join this course of praise and thanksgiving so that he gets more glory and more praise? That's part of what we're doing each Sunday morning when we come here is to celebrate together the salvation that God has won for us at the cross and through the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, and those deliverances in suffering and pain. And that the crescendo for us oftentimes is the, the table of the Lord. When we come to the table of the Lord and we drink from the cup of salvation and it's there that we can say, I love you, Lord, for this. I love you, Lord, for this. I love the Lord because you've delivered me through the cross and resurrection. So I hope you'll come to the table this morning with that in your hearts. Let's pray.